Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. the opportunity to connect with Todd White, who is the founder of Dry Farm Wines. And this is a company that I have been working with over the last several years. It is generally a company I will send gifts from to family and friends. And what I found really particularly interesting about Todd and his background is that it's very nicely aligned with many of my colleagues and peers. We dove deep into the differences in conventional versus biodynamic wines We talked about government regulations and the lack of transparency, the components of organic, biodynamic, and natural wines, differences in the alcohol content with conventional versus natural wines, and age-related and gender differences in relationship to alcohol consumption. We spoke at great length about toxins and herbicides and pesticides that are found in conventional wine products the impact of irrigation on grapes, what comprises sugar-free wine, and why it's important if you are an alcohol or wine consumer to get educated about the significant and substantial differences between the conventional wine industry here in the United States versus supporting biodynamic wines. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did recording it. Welcome, Todd. I've been really looking forward to connecting with you. I know we would have met in real life last weekend, but you know, life happens. But it's serendipitous that we were able to connect this week and really dive down this rabbit hole about your background and what brought about the invention of Dry Farm Wines and your company. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and tell you a few dirty, dark secrets of the wine business. <laughs> Well, let's start from the beginning. Tell me about your background. I know that we share a lot of lifestyle choices in common. And by that, I mean intermittent fasting, lower carb, ketogenic lifestyles. But what about your trajectory led you to where you are now? What got you so passionate about educating people about the wine industry and about wine and how these practices are impacting our health in in profoundly sometimes negative ways? So it begins back a story of sanity and vanity. So I've been working out my entire life and been a fitness enthusiast. And in my 40s, I'm now 61, in my 40s, I started experimenting with the Atkins diet. And from there, started to adapt a lower carb lifestyle. Just I have a body type, as does 85 or 90% of the rest of the country, that is not friendly to my maintaining the lean body mass that I want to keep and eating refined carbs or anything that causes my blood glucose to spike. Like you, I occasionally wear a continuous glucose monitor and I experiment with maintaining a lower blood glucose. I happen to be from a school belief that most chronic illness today is caused by hyperproduction of insulin and elevated blood glucose, which is why I only eat once a day. As I begin to age... I found that it wasn't possible for me any longer just to be low carb. If I didn't incorporate a pretty firm fasting schedule, I was still gaining weight. And back to the sanity and vanity, as I was aging, particularly as I got into my 40s, and I started to experiment with, at that time, low carb, not really keto, because at that time, keto wasn't a thing. I started experimenting with a therapeutic ketogenic diet about seven years ago, and that's where Dry Farm Mind starts to come along. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But I had been a biohacker for the last 10 or so years, and I define biohacking for those who don't know what it means as how we employ our behavior to positively influence our neurological or biological outcome. The most common biohack is a diet. I then practice many other cold thermogenesis, heat treatments, intermittent fasting, sugar-free lifestyle largely. And so this, uh, what I call today a wellness, longevity, and lifestyle designer. I like to live well by design, right? And living well by design is much like architecture. There's a foundation, and then we make choices, 
right, of how we're going to build the house. And so by living a life of intention through meditation and other mindful practices, by living a life of intention, I employ these practices to design a lifestyle of what I hope will be positive longevity and wellness. Because my goal here is to extend my health span, right? If I live a long time in the process, that's great too. But what I really want to do is delay the onset of any chronic illness. Most of us are going to die from the same diseases. The question is, when do they? When is their onset? And so this is sort of how I think about this whole package. And then Dry Farm Wines came along because I was a lifelong aficionado of wine. So I've been drinking wine since I was nine years old. Not regularly at nine, but tasting wines when I was younger. And then I started drinking as an adult on a fairly regular basis. And uh, and at times in tenuous ways with alcohol when I would drink spirits and was younger and party like a rock star. And, and, you know, so this lifestyle, which I've drank spirits for like 25 years, but I have continued to drink wine. And except when I'm doing extended water fast, I drink wine every day. I don't drink it during the daytime. I only drink wine at night. I don't recommend anybody else drink alcohol in the daytime because it's going to stop fat burning anytime we take in an exogenous energy substance like alcohol or exogenous ketones or anything that the body has to then process, we're going to stop fat burning. So I found that my relationship with wine in particular and alcohol was just not positive. And I didn't understand why that wine was making me feel bad. And so, and leading to brain fog and hangovers. And so I thought it was just the alcohol. I thought you know, maybe with age I was becoming more sensitive to alcohol. And I noticed that red wines, and women oftentimes find this too, red wines were exponentially worse than white wine. And this is also usually the case for women, and I can tell you why. But so, and I meet thousands of women at health events, and they tell me, you know, I love red wine, but I can't drink it. And so, you know, I'll have some of your white, and I'm like, well, you can drink these reds, trust me. They won't make you feel the way that commercial wines make you feel. So that led me accidentally to discover at that time, which was just starting to happen, which was the natural wine revolution in central France. And I discovered it quite by accident as I was looking for lower alcohol wines. And so it turned out that a lot of natural wines, because of the way that they're made naturally, uh, have lower alcohol levels in them. And I was trying to find just lower alcohol wine, because again, I thought the problem was alcohol. I didn't know it was really everything else that's going in wine that we're going to talk about. So I discovered this importer in Paris called the Paris Wine Company that had these lower alcohol wines that I really liked and they were delicious. And so one of the problems when you remove alcohol from wine, alcohol does a lot to hide faults in wine. And so because it's hot, and so it hides things. And when you take alcohol out, a lot of times the wine doesn't taste as good. Now, if you get a really well-made low-alcohol wine, it actually tastes better. But oftentimes, if it's just lower alcohol, the wine is not as it doesn't taste right. So anyway, I called this guy up who was an American from San Francisco who was living in Paris, and he said, oh, well, these are natural wines. And I was like, well, what's a natural wine? And he began to explain to me what I'm going to explain to you, why natural wines are rare and why... They are better for you. And he explained to me, because I tell people, they say, what do you do? I say, I sell natural wine. They're like, what's a natural wine? Isn't all wine natural? And for the reasons we're going to discuss, they're not. So that was sort of the beginning. I wasn't really looking at dry farm wines as a business. I was just trying to find a healthier way to drink for myself. And then when I discovered that, I started sharing with friends, and it turns out other people were interested in it too. It's really fascinating because until I learned about you and your work, I had no idea, although it should not surprise me given what we know about the food industry here in the United States, the more I learned, the more interesting it became. And I have always given your wines as gifts, like gift to team members, gift to family members, and not fully appreciating what distinguishes the traditional conventional winemaking in the United States and sometimes abroad versus biodynamic winemaking. And so maybe we start the conversation there because there are probably people listening saying, hey, 
I've got this, you know, fantastic wine that I enjoy that's from California. And so as I was kind of researching for our conversation, I was like, oh, this is just like the processed food industry. We just don't realize that we've gotten so far away from the way that wine is designed to ideally be made to making it a commercialized, super profitable, contaminant laden product is what most of us, when we go to a, a store or we're purchasing wine for our homes, we unknowingly are bringing all these additives and genetically modified ingredients into our homes and not even realizing we're doing it, you know, with good intent, I would say. So let's kind of start with how is conventional wine made and how is that different from biodynamic winemaking? I think this is what for me was really, really interesting in terms of educating us about the lack of transparency in the winemaking business. Well, let's talk about how this happened. Because that's sort of the same thing that happened in the food industry. Basically, there are 10 plus or minus food companies that control most of everything that comes in and out of your grocery store. And so the same thing happened in the wine industry. This is really about money and greed. This is a consolidation of the wine industry fueled by Wall Street money, cheap public money that allowed the, the wine industry to consolidate or what's known in the business world as roll up. Right. And so you've got basically the top three wine companies make 52% of all wines in the United States. And the top 30 wine companies make over 70% of U.S. wines. Everything I'm going to share with you about the wine industry and everything I'm about to tell you, while somewhat shocking, is always is easily verifiable through a Google search. It won't take you but just a few moments to find the top wine companies, the top selling wines, who makes them. So most of these wines are made by just a handful of companies. So when you go in the grocery store, even in a bottle shop, but certainly in the grocery store, and you see shelves and shelves of wine, most of those wines are made by just a handful of large marketing conglomerates. Now, they make these wines in factories, but they don't want you to know that, so they hide behind thousands of brands and labels to confuse you. And they put animals on the label, or they put a farmhouse, or maybe a chateau to have you believe that this wine is made by some farmer, when in fact these wines are made in huge wine factories located in central California. These wine factories are multiple football fields large. They're huge. As far as you can see are tanks. They're called tank farms. They're what wine is fermented in and stored in. And so they are these... Why you don't know about what's in your wine is an intentional act by these companies using millions of dollars of lobby money in Washington, D.C. In, in collaboration with the government to hide facts from you, like the following. There's 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. In fairness, some of those are natural. Some of them are not. And a few of them are highly toxic. The most toxic offender is called dimethyl dicarbonate. Dimethyl dicarbonate, if you look up FDA-approved additives, you'll see all these. Again, some are natural. Some are also animal products. So if you're a vegan, you might care about that. Uh, there are three animal products allowed for the use in winemaking. They're quite commonly used. The uh, One is fish bladders, as an example. Another is egg whites. You know, it depends on what you're sensitive to. But dimethyl dicarbonate is... If you look it up on Wikipedia and you look at the table on the right, it's going to say hazards, colon, toxic. Dimethyl dicarbonate is used to treat the single most common bacterial fault in wine called Brettanomyces. When you make wine as the winemaker, you have to manage a bacterial environment. And if the wrong bacteria get in the wine, then you have to use additives and chemicals to alter or change those bacteria. Because if not, they'll be off-putting aromas or taste in the wines. So that's how these additives get in there. Now, natural wine, on the other hand, doesn't have these additives. Natural wine has three components. One, natural wine is always organic or biodynamically grown. Biodynamic farming is a prescriptive, advanced form of organic farming. Number two, and this is the most confusing part, and the reason that natural wines are rare is that 
Natural wines are always fermented with indigenous wild native yeast. Commercial wines are fermented with the GMO lab cultured yeast. Now, why is that important? Or why do they do that? Why not just use the natural yeast? Own the skin of every great berry on the planet at the time of harvest is a white waxy film that is actually yeast. You can scrape it off with your fingernail. That yeast is present on grapes everywhere. But the reason that commercial winemakers don't use this yeast for fermentation, and we'll talk about fermentation and how wine is made in a moment because that's important to understand why wine can be sugar-free or not. But so this the wild indigenous native yeast, which is collected naturally through the air in the vineyard, this yeast is very fragile. It's difficult to work with, and it requires a lot of coddling. And importantly, you can't make wine in large volumes utilizing native yeast. It's too unstable. You can make wine in fairly small volumes, but that doesn't suit the purposes of people who are trying to make a lot of money, right? And so you use these GMO commercial modified yeasts for a number of reasons. They're cultured to be very strong and sturdy. They're altered. They will withstand a high alcohol environment. A native yeast will die if the alcohol level gets too high. And third, you can buy yeast in different flavor profiles. So if you want to make a wine that tastes like it's from Italy, you can buy yeast for that. If you want to make a wine that tastes like it has butter in it, you can buy yeast for that. Right? Just like, as you know, during the pandemic and the sourdough break baking craze, you know, people would be passing around mother yeast because... Yeasts have different flavors. So these yeasts are modified to be flavored. But mo most importantly, you can make wine in very large volumes. And so that's the reason they don't use native yeast. And number three, number three cornerstone is that natural wines don't contain any of these additives. This causes natural wine to taste very differently. Uh, it tastes fresher. It tastes better, assuming that it's well-made. Now, natural wines can be off-putting as well. This is a complaint of the traditional wine industry. Natural wines are funky. Well, they can be. We don't sell wines like that because we're interested in more classic wine taste profiles. Now, our wines do taste very different than commercial wines. They're alive. And, in fact, they contain active bacterias, bacterias that Dr. David Perlmutter has written about several times as being friendly to the gut microbiome. See, a commercial wine has been sterilized before it's bottled. And they sterilize it with a high dose of sulfur dioxide. They sterilize it as a preservative and also to not only kill the wine and all the active bacteria in it, but they want a shelf-stable wine that every bottle tastes exactly the same to McDonaldize the wine, if you will, right? And so... This sterilization process does that because in a natural wine, not every bottle, even from the same vintage, tastes the same because the bacteria can react differently in different bottles because it's still a living wine coming from living soil, right? And so the soil is healthy and alive, as is the wine. So these natural wine, you can't make it in large volumes, which is A, why it's rare, B, we're the largest purveyor of natural wines in the world and the largest importer. We don't sell domestic wine, it's fair to note. There are no wines grown in the United States that meet all of our criteria for health and purity. It's also fair to note that natural wine at the moment doesn't have a certification, although it's France is going to be the first country to certify natural wines in the next vintage. And so we don't believe that will happen here. Dry Farm Wines, my company, does have a certification process that's over and beyond just being natural because we're really a health food company. We care about things other than it just being natural wine. We care about sugar. We care about alcohol. Here's one thing that I think people are always very surprised to hear me say because they think I'm here selling wine. What I'm really here is, is to educate people about how to think about drinking, not only think about drinking wine, but think about drinking alcohol in general because... Alcohol is a dangerous neurotoxin. It ruins millions of lives a year. Some people shouldn't drink at all. And if you don't drink, I'm not recommending that you begin now. And it further surprises people to hear me say, as a health leader, my life might be better off if I didn't drink at all. But that's not going to happen because I like drinking wine. Therefore, 
even though my overall plan of living well by design could be enhanced, I don't know, if I didn't drink at all. But the fact of the matter is I love wine, and I'm going to drink. And if you drink, and if you're going to drink, I want to help you think about how to drink better and more consciously. One of the most common concerns I see in perimenopause and menopause is hair loss, hair breakage, hair shedding. And knowing that over 80 million Americans are impacted by this is both reassuring, but it's wonderful to know that there are products available that can help with these symptoms. Divi is good for those with hair shedding or thinning due to stress in perimenopause or menopause. They can be helpful for addressing dry scalp. And have you wanted to take control of your hair health but aren't sure where to start? This is where a Divi can be hugely impactful. I love their scalp serum. And we know that the scalp serum improves the appearance of breakage, nourishes our hair follicles, and removes product and oil buildup. There are some key ingredients, including tea tree oil, which works to reduce and prevent excess oil buildup on the scalp, amino acids that help to strengthen hair, fight frizz, which is my greatest concern, and reduce breakage, and copper tripeptide 1, which is a small protein composed of the three amino acids to facilitate a clean and hydrated scalp, as well as hyaluronic acid, which is nourishing and hydrating to our scalps. As I mentioned, Divi is not just for those experiencing hair loss. I found it to be hugely helpful for scalp health and all of Divi's products, including their shampoos and conditioners, Come together to create a full daily solution that helps women nourish their hair and get to the root of scalp health. Do you want to take back control of your hair and scalp health and do it with clean, science-backed ingredients? Go to DiviOfficial.com slash Cynthia or enter Cynthia at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's D-I-V-I official.com slash Cynthia for 20% off your first order. As I mentioned, my favorite product is the scalp serum. And now that we're in the deep throes of winter weather, it is so wonderfully nourishing and moisturizing. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high-quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bioptimizers. Masszymes is a full-spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. Product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Well, I think it's all really fascinating because so many of us, you know, I've been a clinician forever and, you know, there's been this kind of methodology that wine is healthy, we can drink in moderation. And for full transparency, my husband drinks, I have chosen not to drink over the last couple of years, because it was the only thing that gave me hot flashes and disrupted my sleep. But I think it's all about meeting people where they are and helping to educate them about themselves, their bodies and making healthier choices for them. So I appreciate your transparency. And it's very helpful to understand, you know, the components of natural wine to understand that your current practices when you're bringing products into what you're selling through dry farm wines 
does not incorporate wines here from the United States, which I think speaks hugely. What I do find interesting is, as I was doing research, the alcohol levels, fun fact, that the alcohol levels of your wines are lower, which is consistent with this natural, as you referred to it, this natural wild native yeast is happier existing in a state of lower alcohol levels versus the conventional options, which I think I was reading up to 15%, which is pretty high. Big difference between 6% to 12.5% versus 15%, which also kind of supports the notion that these types of wines really require different types of genetically engineered ingredients that allow for that wine to be able to exist at a higher state of alcohol where there is consistency with every single bottle. As you mentioned, there's, you know, additives that you can add that or yeast that are going to provide a butter profile or a profile that's more consistent with a certain type of wine found in, in areas of Europe. And so I found it really fascinating, but let's talk a little bit about the alcohol level piece, because this was interesting for me, but also makes a lot of sense when people talk about, you know, I can handle one glass of conventional wine, but I can have two or three glasses of natural wine and not feel the same effect, not feel like I'm dehydrated and hungover. And I think for a lot of people, especially middle-aged individuals, all of a sudden, you know, our relationship with alcohol may change. We may find it doesn't, we don't do as well with as much of it. We may find that we really are looking for higher quality options. Like I'm going to choose to consume a higher quality product and have less of it so that I don't get the same effect. I can enjoy the taste of it, but I know I'm not going to then wake up tomorrow morning with a terrible hangover. As you mentioned and alluded to that you were starting to make those connections in your forties. I think for many of us, we do as well. Well, there's no question that two things are true. A, as you age, you just don't metabolize and process alcohol as well. And the more you drink over a longer period of time, it doesn't actually build tolerance. Just the opposite happens. As you get older and you've been drinking for a long time, actually your tolerance decreases, not increases. Both of those are problem issues for people who want to drink and who want to age successfully and are also interested in brain health and also cardiovascular fitness. But mainly brain health, because alcohol, as I mentioned, is a neurological toxin. So I care a lot about alcohol. And again, I might be better served if I didn't drink at all, but I love wine. And so I wanted to find a better way to drink it. Part of that equation for me, and remains part of the equation, even as I notice as I continue to age, is drinking lower alcohol products. I don't want to drink a glass. I might want to drink a bottle over the course of an evening. And so to do that, and to do that successfully from a health point of view, that means lowering the alcohol level down in the inherent product significantly, which is part of the Dry Farm Wine certification is that we don't sell any wines over 12.5% alcohol and as low as 6%. And so most of the wines I drink are between 9 and 11% because that's sort of my taste profile. It doesn't maybe... 11 doesn't sound much different than the average 15% in U.S. wines, but it's a huge difference. And so a very significant difference in how you feel while you're drinking from glass one until how you feel in the middle of the night to how you feel the next morning. Drinking less alcohol, let's be perfectly clear, in my view, is healthier. And it, perhaps, say it again, the healthiest method may be not drink it at all. Okay? But... That's not who I am. So I'm the guy for the people who want to think about health and continue to drink, right? And so, and here's the thing. Most people, because they haven't really thought about this because they just think about wine as being a good thing. You know, the church pours it. It was at the Last Supper. It was, you know, it's been a part of religious and cultural institutions, art, fashion, it's everywhere about everything that seems to be fun and good, right? And so alcohol, so wine in particularly has gotten just sort of a, and until I came along and started talking about it, right, then people just weren't thinking about it. And one of the things that they don't think about is almost no one looks at a wine bottle to determine the amount of alcohol that's in the wine. They just buy the bottle. They don't look at the amount of alcohol. It's worth noting, though, another part of the corruption between the wine industry and the government 
See, the government, just like in nutrition, when you look at the food pyramid or the food plate, they're not giving you honest information of how you should be eating, right? Because the food plate or the pyramid is managed, that information you may know is managed by the Department of Agriculture. And the Department of Agriculture's job is to sell grains, right? It's not to give you health advice. So this same kind of thing exists between the wine industry and the U.S. government in alcohol. So when you look at alcohol stated on a wine bottle, it's not required by law to be correct. So if it says 14% on the label, by law, it could be as high as 15.5% and still be legal, which is why Dry Farm Wines independently lab test every wine we sell for a number of contaminants, including sugar and alcohol, because alcohol stated or told to us might not be correct. And so, and because we care so deeply about the management of drinking alcohol and how to have a more conscious consumption that better protects our brain health, to be just quite clear about it, that's what concerns me most, is brain health as I'm aging as it relates to my alcohol use. And so most people don't even look to see how much alcohol is in a wine bottle, but I can assure you that drinking lower alcohol natural wines has a substantial impact on how you feel, both while drinking it, while having less interruption in your sleep, and less negative remnants the next day. So now if you drink enough natural wine, enough, you will get a hangover. I can't prevent alcohol from giving you a hangover. However, if you drink reasonably, you're not likely to have any negative impacts from drinking natural wines, lower alcohol natural wines. It's fair to note, and the reason we lab test for alcohol is that there are natural wines that are over 12.5%. There are natural wines at 16% or 15%, right? Those are not wines that we're interested in selling for a health point of view. And the demarcation in alcohol is 12 and a half. So you'd be very hard pressed to go into a grocery store and find a wine at 12 and a half percent. Very hard pressed. They're almost non-existent. You'll find them at 13, 13 and a half percent on the grocery store, but not at 12 and a half and below. You certainly won't see anything below 12 and a half. And so when you experience these wines, and I can tell you about them, but as a regular drinker when you experience them, and Dry Farm Wines is a, we're a wine membership. We're a wine club, and you can sign up for any frequency you want, twice a year, once a month, twice a month, once a quarter, doesn't matter. We're a wine club because generally our job and goal is to help regular wine drinkers experience better life. If you drink wine once a month, you know what? You probably don't experience negative remnants more than once a month, right? But if you drink wine every day or several times a week, then you have a more substantial problem to deal with, both in the amount of alcohol that you're drinking as well as these contaminants in the way of additives, not to mention glyphosate and other contaminants found in farming practices. So most of the wines in the world, no matter where they're grown, are contaminated with industrial farming practices and so and irrigation, which is another problem. The name of our wine company is Dry Farm Wines. So what does dry farm mean? Dry farming means farming without irrigation. Grapevines have been living all over the planet for about 10,000 years without irrigation. Irrigation is largely an American idea, not exclusively, but largely. Over 99% of U.S. vineyards are irrigated. Irrigation didn't come to grape farming in the United States until the 1970s. So it's a fairly new idea but it's universally practices almost today. And the reason for that is because wine companies are not trying to make wine better or healthier. They're trying to make it cheaper and faster. And farming with irrigation is simply easier and cheaper, right? And it results in more money. Why would you irrigate a grapevine? Well, it's cheaper, requires less labor and less activity. Number two it results in a large, a larger cluster. That's the size of the berries. And then it might not surprise you, common sense will tell you, that when you fill a grape berry with water by over-irrigating it, it weighs more. 
And fruit is sold by the ton. And so this is why irrigation exists, because it makes more money. Now, there's another problem with irrigation as it relates to alcohol, and this will take us into the fermentation discussion. When you irrigate a grape berry and you fill it with water, it dilutes everything in the berry, including its flavor. None of this will be confusing to anybody because it, common sense will tell you if you pump a berry full of water, then you've diluted the flavor. You've also diluted the polyphenols and flavonoids and antiflavonoids that make the berry the what are thought to be the healthy compounds that are found within grapes. And the most famous one is called resveratrol, which is Dr. David Sinclair, who drinks our wines and has written about us and is one of the preeminent, I'm sure you know who he is, one of the preeminent anti-aging researchers in the United States and has published a lot on resveratrol. Now, so resveratrol is the most famous of these polyphenols, but when you pump a berry full of water, you dilute everything, including its phenolic flavor. Now, why is that important? Because when you irrigate a grapevine, you have to pick it at higher sugar because you need higher sugar in order to develop proper flavoring because you've diluted the character of the fruit with water. I hope none of this is confusing, but it's all pretty common sense. What's the problem with picking berries at higher sugar? Well, because in the fermentation process, the higher the sugar is in the juice, the higher the alcohol becomes in the fermentation. Why is that? Well, here's how you make wine. You press the juice, and this is also the most common question I get is, how is your wine sugar-free? Isn't there sugar-free in grape juice? Isn't there sugar in grape juice? So this will cover, in the fermentation discussion, which will last about four or five minutes, we're going to talk about how wine gets sugar in it, how wine becomes sugar-free, how polyphenols get in wine, like resveratrol, and why polyphenols are higher in red wine than white wine. So when you make wine, and we're going to skip over the yeast part a bit because we don't need to go back down that rabbit hole. I'm just going to use the phrase inoculated with yeast. So remember, in commercial wine, it's going to be inoculated with a lab culture GMO yeast. In conventional, uh, in natural wine, it's the wild native yeast that's already present in the juice. So you don't actually add anything you get what's called a spontaneous fermentation. It just starts fermenting itself. You don't add anything in the process of making natural wine. Don't take anything out. You don't add anything. Conventional wine, you add things. So you press the juice from the berry. The juice runs into a tank. Now, if it's a white wine, it runs into a tank, and the juice is sitting there, and you discard the skins, the seeds, and the stems. And white wine is fermented just with clear, free-run juice. Red wine, when you press the juice from the skins, it also goes into a tank. But then you take the seeds, the stems, and the skins, and you add that to the tank with the juice. That's how red wine gets its color, its higher polyphenols, and also its tannin structures and its body. That's the reason red wines have this kind of complexity of flavors and textures that white wine doesn't have because of skin, seed, and stem contact. So that's also where it gets its color. If you go to a vineyard and you pick a white wine grape and you pick a red wine grape and you squeeze the juice from either of them, it's clear. The red wine um, gets its color from maceration with the skins, from soaking with the skin. So that's the difference between those two. It's also why red wine has about 800 of these polyphenol compounds, and white wines have just over 200, because they get the additional polyphenols from the skin contact, which is, generally speaking, why most people, experts, believe that red wine is healthier. Although many people, including a lot of women, can't drink it. We can talk about why in a moment. But or why we think so. There's not enough research on any of this to say with certainty why natural wine makes you feel better. It's largely anecdotal. We know when you drink it, you feel better. There's about 100 reasons why that's possible, right, including additives or extended macerations or biogenetic amines like tyramine and histamine, which are exaggerated in red wines from commercial producers because of how they make it. We'll get to that in a moment. But so in the fermentation process... Wine goes into this tank 
it's inoculated with yeast, whether it's present or whether it's added. It doesn't matter. The yeast, like a little Pac-Man, the yeast eats the sugar. Yeast is a living organism and is used in a lot of research, particularly for longevity, because yeast has a very short lifespan. But So yeast is inoculated, eats the sugar, and is the food source for the yeast. Now, if the wine is allowed to fully ferment, meaning that the yeast lives throughout the entire fermentation process and eats all of the available sugar, the wine will be sugar-free. Now, let me stop there for a moment because I get some criticism from the wine industry on this topic, saying that our wines are sugar-free. Well, they are because we lab test them and we certify that they're sugar-free. There are conventional wines, particularly red wines, there are conventional wines that are also sugar-free. And the wine industry will stand up on their head and scream this at me. You know, well, there are other wines that are sugar-free. You're not the only sugar-free wine. That's true. The problem is, for most wines, you don't know whether they're sugar-free without lab testing them. Because the acid level in wine hides sugar. But it does provide mouthfeel. So here's how sugar gets in wine. If the fermentation process, by the winemaker's choice, the winemaker makes this choice as a style, If the fermentation process is allowed to complete and the yeast eats all available sugar, the yeast will die and become what's known as lease. That's dead yeast and it'll fall to the bottom of the tank where it's removed. So this yeast, if it's not allowed to fully ferment and the winemaker makes that choice, so there's a little device hangs in the tank and that device tells the winemaker at any time exactly how much sugar is left in the juice. When the desired level of sugar is reached for the winemaker and his style, his or her style, when that level of sugar is reached, they pour sulfur dioxide in the wine and they kill the yeast intentionally, leaving behind what's known as residual sugar or RS in the industry. Now, we reject a lot of natural wines because they also can contain sugars. But it's not the same intentional act that you get from the conventional companies who are taste engineering products to be more tantalizing. And sugar creates, you know, a long finish that people talk about in wine. Sugar creates mouthfeel. Sugar creates things that Americans like. And so our wines don't taste like that. Um, they're also friendlier with foods because they don't taste like that, and they're also lower in alcohol. Alcohol is not friendly with food. You don't sit down and have vodka and a lettuce, right, and a salad. So this, in the winemaking process, if fermentation is allowed to complete, then you'll have a sugar-free wine. If it's not, then you're going to have sugar in the wine. Now, how much sugar is in conventional wine when you go in the grocery store? Hard to say. Here's what I can tell you. We lab tested last year the top 20 best-selling wines in America. And that's, some of those wines, by the way, are imported. One in particular from Australia. We, has a little animal on it, right? So we lab tested the top 20 best-selling wines in the United States. That list is readily available online. And of the top 20 we tested, only two met our criteria for sugar-free. And that criteria for us is a measurement And this is also a legal measurement by the government that they consider to be sugar-free, and we consider to be sugar-free too. We do not allow more than one gram per liter. Now, statistically, at a glass of wine, that's sugar-free. A wine bottle is 750 milliliters. So this is less than one gram in a wine bottle, right? So it's nascent by the time it gets to the glass and technically and legally sugar-free. Of the top 20 wines, best-selling wines, only two of them met our criteria for sugar. So are they like super sweet? Can you taste it? No, because if it's an intentionally sweet wine, like a dessert wine or a port or an ice wine, you know, late harvest, obviously you're going to taste sugar in that. And that can be as high as 300 grams per liter. Super, super high. Right, But if a wine contains 5 to 10 grams per liter, you won't taste it necessarily because of the acid level in wine. It's just like in a soda, you know, you'll have, you know, say, 32 grams of sugar, but you got a ton of ascorbic acid in there, or you wouldn't be able to drink it it'd be so sweet. Right, So this, is, this acid, like when you make lemonade, 
you know, you start putting sugar in it, it doesn't taste sweet in the beginning, right? You have to put a lot of sugar in for it to taste sweet because the acid will, will balance out. The same thing in wine. Wine has a high acid in it, and so sugar will not be detectable even to taste professionals like us, which is why we do lab testing because I don't want to drink sugar any more than I want to eat it, right? And anytime I pick up anything that I put in my body, I don't eat many packaged foods, but anything I pick up that's in a bottle, let's say a kombucha is an example, I don't drink kombucha because it, it usually contains too much sugar. And I just don't want to drink sugar. I just believe elevated blood glucose is unhealthy. So that's sort of the fermentation and how sugar gets in or out of wine because people will say, well, there's a lot of, sh even people, I got a comment on Facebook just a few days ago, I saw where a wine professional, somebody who owns a wine store with their husband said it's impossible to have sugar-free wine because there's, there's, I had to go through a technical explanation to a wine purveyor about how this works, right? And so it's entirely possible to have sugar-free wine and that's all I sell. Right. But it's a specific process to get there. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise. So you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one, -on -one, interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12 month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armra Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armra's colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armrest colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth 
mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. I think it's really fascinating. And as someone who has a a pretty solid science background, it's like bringing me back to a lot of chemistry experimentation many years ago. I do appreciate how nuanced this all is. And I think for anyone that's listening, there's no question that the degree of preparation that you and your company put into winemaking and ensuring that what you are sharing with your subscribers is the best options that are out there. Now, you've alluded to some of these additives, and I did a little bit of homework. And some of these things, you know, glyphosate, which is something that Jeffrey Smith talked about at great length, if anyone wants to learn more about that and how destructive that is, understanding that conventionally made wines expose us to a lot of unnecessary toxins. Glyphosate was one that stood out the coloring agent mega purple, which for any of us that drank really cheap wine in college or after college, you were uh, drinking mega purple. I guarantee you. Uh, well, we would like stain our teeth, and so it, it does stain your teeth. It's also sixty-eight percent sugar. No, mega no. purple is that comes straight from the manufacturer, right? It's the mega purple is the number one selling color agent. In fairness, it's a natural product. It is made from grapes, but it's super high in sugar. And, it's, and it will stain your teeth for most people, depending upon how porous their teeth are. But, and that's a very individual thing. But it can also stain your lips. Natural wines will not stain your teeth. There's two things that lead to teeth staining in red wine. One is a color agent. Number two is extended macerations. This is also what leads to higher biogenetic amines like histamine and tyramine, which is what makes most women feel bad. They get hot flashes. They get tension in their frontal lobe. In their frontal lobe, they get um, hot flashes. They can get splotchy. Usually, these are from amines. Usually. A lot of people think they're sulfites. That's not usually true. Sulfites are naturally occurring in anything that's fermented. And sulfites are present in many foods. And if you have an actual allergy to sulfites, you'd probably be walking around with an EpiPen in your pocket, right? Sulfites are found in all kinds of foods, and they're present in anything that's fermented, naturally occurring sulfites. The question is, is sulfur dioxide added to the wine to sterilize it and preserve it? That becomes an additive. We lab test for sulfites. The average sulfur in our wines, which is naturally occurring, is 39 parts per million. The U.S. legal limit for sulfite, 350 parts per million. But we don't think sulfites are a terrible thing. I don't want to make sulfites out to be all that in a bag of chips because they sulfites have been used in wine since the Roman times. To about 2,000 years, sulfur has been used in wine in various capacities. And so because in the early 1960s, a teetotaling senator from South Carolina had this added to wine bottle, contained sulfites as a way to scare you, right? When in fact, sulfites are not generally thought to be dangerous. But what they do do is they excess sulfur kills the living bacteria in the wine, sterilizes the wine, and causes it to taste dead or flat. It doesn't taste alive like a natural wine does. And so it does have a very distinct effect on flavor and on the health quality of the wine. But in terms of are are sulfites themselves dangerous, we don't think so, but they get blamed for a lot because this is printed on the bottle and required by law to be on the bottle. But what's more likely to be leading women to have the symptoms that they describe to me are really amines, and the primary one is histamine. Well, and it's interesting because middle-aged women, as they're navigating fluctuations in estrogen, they can have these fluctuating levels, which can exacerbate histamine because I see a lot of women that have mast cell degranulation, they have hives, and they're not sure where where it's originating from. And so really being diligent about 
you know, documenting their histamine exposures, whether it's, you know, in aged meats or cheese or any number of things is really important. And how many people drink wine and have aged meat and cheese, like they're having charcuterie and they're having wine. And so they point to one thing, not realizing it's a combination of all the above that can exacerbate that histamine reaction. One other thing that came up when I was looking at additives that I thought was interesting, and I want to make sure I'm pronouncing this properly, vulcurin is a particular nasty additive that I think I was reading is actually applied when it's applied to conventionally grown grapes is actually applied with hazmat suits. It's so toxic. <laughs> it's true. This is this. I spoke about this earlier. That's Vulcan is the brand name for dimethyl dicarbonate. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So yes, it is applied with hazmat suits. And if you drink the wine within 24 hours of it being treated, it could kill you. And so this, it's a highly toxic chemical. And so I don't speak of the brand name because Generally speaking, when you look at the additive list from the FDA, it's actually the chemical dimethyl dicarbonate. What you're pointing to is actually the brand of the company that sells it or the most popular version of it. And so that if you go to their website, it says that it's used to treat tens of millions of gallons of wine. So apparently the use of it is quite large. Glyphosate, which you probably know has been found in both organic and non-organic vineyards in the United States by two different groups. Now, neither of those studies were peer-reviewed. There were, in my view of science and testing, neither study was solid enough to, for me to hang much of my hat on it, But and they were small samplings. But we've lab-tested wine and found glyphosate in it. So the interesting thing is, about glyphosate as it applies to vineyard farming is different than wheat farming as an example. So you sometimes find glyphosate in organic wheat because it's in wheat, glyphosate is applied with a drone or an airplane. Now it's usually drones. And so you have a lot of overspray opportunity for neighboring organic farms. That's not exactly the same case in grape farming because it's applied very close to the ground. It has a, an applicator that is, you know, 12 inches from the ground, and it goes between the rows. The tractor, you have a, these vineyard tractors that are designed to go between grape rows, and this device sits down close to the ground. This is how glyphosate is applied in vineyards. It's not done with a drone. So the opportunity for mass overspray into a large, you know, organic vineyard next door is not the same. So it's speculated that it may be coming, and this is bad news all the way around, but it's speculated it may be coming from irrigation. So runoff into reservoirs or through the water table even. But most irrigation for vineyard farming comes from reservoirs. So it's speculated that it's getting in the reservoir and that the glyphosate in an organic farm makes its way into the vine through irrigation. So because only about 10% of U.S. vineyards are organic, but 99% are irrigated. So it's rare. There are three examples I can think of in California that are both dry farmed and organic, right? So, but they're super rare. So let's talk about that for just one second, the difference between organic wine and natural wine. See, the problem with all this is that it's all very confusing, and it's hard to kind of put it all together because the word natural in foods is a no-no. Natural food, mm-hmm. right, it's, it's washing, it's greenwashing. But natural wine is a real thing that has a real meaning that is positive. Natural in food is greenwashing. So that becomes confusing. Then you've got, well, my wine's organic. I'm getting organic wine. Is that okay? Well, it's better than conventionally grown wine, that's for sure. But let me just put this out there again, confusing. All natural wines are always organic or biodynamic. Not all organic wines are natural. That means that many organic wines and biodynamic wine that are not natural Many of them are fermented with conventional yeast, 
and they contain additives. So just because it's organic doesn't mean it's additive-free. Just because it's biodynamic doesn't mean that it's additive-free. It just means it was farmed biodynamically or organically. So, again, you're not going to go into the store and there's not going to be a natural wine section. Not unless you live in a major market like New York or San Francisco or Los Angeles. You can find natural wine retailers in those cities. But, again, just because it's natural doesn't mean it's also low in alcohol or sugar-free. You're not going to get our certification level. But if you're going to drink wine, A, you should drink organic or biodynamic wine whether it's natural or not, because that's going to be a step up from conventional farming. Number two, you should drink natural wine if you can get your hands on it, right, because that's going to be a step up from organic and biodynamic. And then number three, if you want to go to the most extreme level of analysis, then you're going to drink wine from dry farm wines because it's going to be certified by us to meet all of these other criteria that not all natural wines drink. But that's the level of hierarchy, you know, that you should think about drinking. If you're going to buy wines in the grocery store, right, then I would suggest, A, looking for the lowest alcohol wine that you can find. Because for whatever reason, the lower the alcohol, 12.5% or below, and you might find a 12.5% French wine in the grocery store, maybe. It's just that in our experience, the lower alcohol wines are more naturally made. doesn't mean they're 100% natural. But they're less intervention. They're more likely, for whatever reason, I suspect it's because the winemaking style of people who make lower alcohol wines care more about the process, right? And let's talk about biodynamic and organic for one second because I know we had some question about that in the beginning. So biodynamic farming was a prescriptive form of farming that was developed in the early 1920s by an Austrian scientist called Rudolf Steiner. And I won't get into all the intricacies of biodynamic farming, but basically it's a prescriptive form, and that prescription is that they use some natural sprays like quartz and water that they spray that they believe bring natural protection to the vines. And then also in biodynamic farming, they farm by lunar cycle. So they believe in performing certain tasks at certain uh, positions of the moon and tide, right? So they harvest under certain moon conditions. They prune under certain lunar cycles. This is what biodynamic. It's very. There's it a lot more to it than that, but that's kind of a high level. And then, but biodynamic. The easiest way to explain it is it is a prescriptive form of organic farming. And this was developed in the 1920s. It's not exclusive to grape farming, by the way. Other farms also employ biodynamic practices. But it was developed in the early 1920s because that was the advent of chemical farming. That's when we first started to see chemical farming was in the 1920s and the adoption of monocultural farming. So single crop farming is an example. When you go to a natural wine farm, you'll find olives and bees and orchards and animals in creating and livestock and in creating a biodiverse environment, which is nature spent a couple billion years figuring out how to make this all work together, right? It's when we came along as humans and started dismantling the forces of nature that allowed everything to remain in balance. I don't know if you've seen this documentary. It's super good called The Biggest Little Farm. I have. I've been like down this rabbit hole after interviewing Rob Wolf last year, making an effort to watch, you know, select documentaries throughout the year just to kind of give me better perspective about, well, there's no other way to put it, the way things used to be compared to how we are doing things conventionally now. Yeah, it's a fascinating, for those who haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, but it's a fascinating documentary about a young couple who took over a chemically killed California farm and then brought it back to a biodiverse organic environment and all the challenges that they faced in dealing with the interruptions of nature that the conventional farming practices had created and then all of the natural remedies that they had to bring in to balance this organic farm. It's a really fascinating film. It absolutely is. Well, Todd, I've so enjoyed our conversation. There's so much to absorb and think about. And much like the processed food industry has really 
redefined the way that we look at nutrition. Certainly this conversation today for me is having me reflect a great deal on an industry that I didn't know as much about. And certainly I'm hopeful that listeners will check out your products. I, like I mentioned, I use them a lot for gifts to my team and family members, and they always really enjoyed. And my husband's a huge red wine drinker. And so we usually get your red wines from Dry Farm Wines. Please let my community know how to connect with you, how obviously we'll put links to your website, but let us know the easiest way to connect with you on social media. We are Dry Farm Wines on all social, and you'll find us everywhere promoting healthier drinking habits with wine. Uh, It's also, I would note as well, if you'd like to try our product, I think we have a link with you that Mm -hmm. gets a penny bottle. We can't give wine away, but we include an extra bottle in your order. And also, as you'll see, if you go to one of those landing pages, we have a 100% happiness promise. And what that means is if you don't like the wine, we give you your money back. And if you ever encounter a bottle you don't like, we'll replace it for free or refund it. But if you get a box of wine from us and you're like, I hate natural wine, awesome. No questions asked. We'll give you 100% of your money back and you can keep the wine, right? That's just how strongly we know and feel about the quality and the taste and the enjoyment of the wines. So it's we stand behind 100% promise. No questions asked. You don't like it, we give your money back. Well, wonderful. It's been so nice to connect with you, Todd. And I know that the uh, next event I'm going to business-wise, there'll be a lot of dry farm wines there. So we'll get to sample more of your products. Thanks for having me today. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.